You know, that's a, a great way to, when, we, when we're worshiping like that, we're, we're talking about um, who God is. Because a lot of times, if we're honest, can, can we be honest here just real quick? Um, if we're honest, we think that uh, the assignment that God has for us depends on us. And we've just sang a bunch of songs that say something different, that the assignment that God has for us really doesn't depend on us. It really doesn't depend on our power, our strength, or our abilities. And um, in fact, like, like, you know when you have an operating system? Like, I've got a brand new iPhone 6 here. And, um, and uh, <laughs> the operating system is still chugging along, still working. And, um, but, uh, you know, I, I can get download apps from the Apple Store on this thing, and a lot of them still work on it. And uh, it's, uh, but I can't go to an Android store and get, and get apps for that because it's a different operating system. Mm -hmm. and, um, and the world has an operating system, and the kingdom of God has an operating system, and they're not the same at all. Yeah. They're actually opposing operating systems. The world's operating system is the one we're most accustomed to. It's the one that's in many ways second nature to us. Um, it is one that beats us down, one that, one that makes us feel inferior, one that makes us feel um, worthless. Um, you have to be the biggest, you have to be the strongest, you have to be the greatest, you have to be the most talented, you have to be the prettiest, you have to be the whatever the thing is, you have to be the EST of it. And, um, and so in any category, you might be, you know, decent at some of those things, but it's easy to look around and find somebody way better than you on any category. And, uh, and so we began to think about the thing that God asks us to do, and we're used to the world's operating system. And um, we go, shoot, I don't measure how there's like... And then we begin to think, well, God will use like this kind of person and this kind of person and this kind of person, but I don't really expect him to use me in a profound way, in a great way. And we begin to believe that. But that is the world's operating system, and it is the opposite of what the kingdom of God is about, because the kingdom of God's operating system is never the biggest, the brightest, the richest, the prettiest, the fastest. The kingdom of God's operating system is the weakest. From cover to cover, the meta-narrative of Scripture is God only uses weak people. How many of you think, think you, you fit the category now? <laughs> I see that hand, sister. Yeah. I mean, you just think about God goes to the old folks' home, finds Abraham and Sarah, says, I got a plan for you. You're going to be the father and mother of a nation. In fact, everything in my big plan is going to come from this nursing home here. And, uh, and we're, going to, we're going to do something incredible. I and mean, he comes up to stuttering Moses and says, you're going to be my spokesman. You're going to lead my people out of this place, into a new place. He sees a guy hiding in a ditch. He says, Gideon, mighty man of valor, you are going to raise an army 
And he raised an arm and he goes, Gideon, your army's too big. Let's get it down to 300 people so you're outnumbered one to a thousand. Then let's go to war. He goes and said, the people are saying they want a king, so the people chose a king, the biggest, the tallest, the strongest, King Saul. It wasn't God's king. Finally, the people, Samuel begins to anoint God's king, and he, where does he go? He goes to the weakest tribe, and then he finds this family, and he, they bring out their children, their sons, and from, from, from strongest to strongest till, till the very, you know, they're out of sons and what's not here. Well, actually, the, the weakest one, the runt of the litter, is tending sheep. Let me see that one. All right, that's him. That's the king. And it just goes on. You just think about if you were God and you were going to send a Messiah and you were going to somehow show the world who you were, you wouldn't go to the backside of nowhere in Nazareth where, where the, the country bumpkins live and, um, and find the poorest couple there and, uh, who have no standing at all and say, this is going to be mom and dad and they're going to give birth to, uh, uh, she's going to give birth to uh, uh, a baby and this baby is going to grow up and, and show people what the kingdom of God is. I mean, this, this is Messiah. I mean, this is, just doesn't make sense. Jesus then goes and walks, and, and he starts picking out people that are going to be his plan A, plan B, plan C. There is no other plan, just this one plan. And, um, and everything he's about to do, he's betting on this team that he's about to put together. And then you look at the ragtag team he puts together. Who are these unschooled and unordinary men that, that they say in Acts that are turning this world upside down? This ragtag group of nothings are the ones that were plan A of, of Christ's mission and went on. And this just continues throughout church history. You see again and again and again that God just takes the normal, ordinary, everyday people and becomes the ones who God uses in a great way. And so, if you could just kind of, if you wear glasses, just kind of maybe adjust them a little bit as we look at Scripture, maybe squint a little bit different, because we're going to look at a passage of Scripture you've seen many times, but I don't want you to look at it with the world's operating system. I want you to look at it with the operating system of the kingdom of God, where God only uses weak people, so I think we all qualify, right? We all qualify. And... Um, and this is, this is a promise if you have brought your Bibles. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3. This is a life verse for me. Um, I, just a bit of a context, was, you know, speaking of weakness, I was weak. I was failing in a, in a church plant. I was right out of, out of university. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Uh, I'd knock on doors and say, hey, I'm Jeff Christopherson. I'm starting a church call. You wouldn't want to be a part of it. Never mind. And... Um, <laughs> Ironically, it was called Victory Baptist Church, you know, and um, there was little victory going on. And um, I was engaged to be married to my wife, Laura. She lived in St. Louis, Missouri, and I was in Lloydminster, Alberta. And, um, and we would write letters, you know, back in the day, you remember there was like paper and you stamps and stuff, yeah. And, and Canada Post and U.S. Mail, and it would just like take forever to get these things going. 
And, uh, and I was having this crisis of faith. I was reading um, and, and look at Abraham and Isaac and, and this test of, of love. Did Abraham love Isaac more than he loved God? And I was wondering, do I love Laura more than I love God? And I was having sort of an existential crisis in this little bachelor suite that I was living in. Um, and I had to come to grips. And then God gave me this passage of Scripture, which really spoke to my heart in this matter. And I began writing this letter to Laura about this passage of Scripture. And I lick it and put it in a stamp, put it in a mailbox. And it those days, it took like more than a week to get those letters back and forth. And... Um, I, I, the next day, got a letter from Laura, and I opened it up, and it was a, a letter sharing a similar crisis and how God spoke to her about us from this, these verses here, these same verses. And uh, so, if you have your Bibles, read Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. The, the, the context of this is God's love for you. It's huge, it's immeasurable, you cannot fathom the height, the depth, the, the, it's just, you cannot understand how much God loves you. So the assignment that God gives you, which requires more than you have because you are weak, um, is embedded in this great love for you. He's not trying to make a shipwreck out of you or casualty out of you or failure out of you. The assignment, the assignment of what we're looking at is the context of God's immeasurable love for you. And then verse 20, we see, because of all that, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's, let's look at what this means, because we've just spent... <coughs> All day yesterday with lots, some of you were there, and there's others there, and I so appreciate your, your leadership, because a lot, not a lot of people will do this. They bring others into a conversation that they're basically saying, you know, rip us apart. Look at what we're doing, kind of challenge our thinking. A lot, not a lot of pastors want to do that in front of people, and that shows something of the heart of the leadership in this church is that they really do want not to protect their, the status quo. They're really wanting to see what is, how can they be shaped, how can this church be shaped for what God would have for them. And this very first word is a connecting word, is now, right? This big promise, big promise, God's love for you, I mean, a big uh, statement of God's love for you, and then a big promise, and this connecting word is now. And, you, and for me, it's the hardest word in this whole passage, because for me, I'm, I don't like now. I like future. I'm always thinking future, 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 future. I, I miss now all the time because I'm thinking. Some of you are thinking past all the time. Something has happened in your past. It's hurt and it's dragging you down and you're, you're kind of stuck and you have a hard time in the now because faith is always in the now. You can't do faith in the future and you can't do it in the past. You can only do it now. Obedience is always now. When you have kids and you ask them to do something and they say, sure, and they don't do it, they weren't obedient, were they? The only time you're obedient is now. And, and um, like I, I, I warned Sarah, Sarah and Eric right here are part of our church that we started in Oakville, I, uh, Ontario. I, I never took my wife on a honeymoon. I was church planting, poor, 
never had the resources to do it. We'd finally get some money to, together, and then we'd kind of do something silly and leave that church and go start a different one, start all over, and you know, do the whole poor thing again. And um, and so about we were 15 years as a in a couple. I still hadn't really taken my wife on a honeymoon, and I saw this American Express commercial that really inspired a romantic genome in me. And uh, and I'm going to take my wife to um, the Mayan Riviera, Mexico, and I'm not telling her. Now, there's, there's nothing could go wrong in this plan. Um, <laughs> so, so I called her office up. She worked at a university college, and I said, um, uh, can you book these days off, but don't tell her? You know, just, just is that possible? And she said, I think so. Okay, thank you. And uh, then I went through her appointment book, found all her, her appointments, and started calling them and said, hey, she's not going to be there. And, um, but uh, you can't tell her why. Okay. And, um, and then I thought, well, you know, if I pack her stuff, she's going to recognize they're missing, so I'm going to go buy her clothes. Now, now, there's no problem in this plan. And... Uh, <laughs> So I'm in the store. This is not, I'm not kidding. I'm in the store and I'm buying everything, like everything and um, things guys shouldn't be going and looking at. And, um, and I, I'm in the store and there's Sarah. <laughs> and uh, what you doing, Pastor Jeff? Mm, yeah. Anyway, I think she thought I was a creep. And um, so we finally got to uh, Mexico. She didn't know what, well, she didn't even know we got to the airport and I had someone else um, in the car with me because she thought we were going to speak at a conference and, um, and really that guy was just to retrieve the car back. And she goes, where, where, where are we, or when do I pick you up? And I show her the ticket and she sees Cancun, Mexico and her name on it. Like, what? And um, then I planned a whole series of fun things, surprises, including her sister-in-law coming from um, Chile there and meeting us and just a whole, whole bunch of things like that. And so, so we're, every day I'm going, this is going to be so much fun. This is going to be so much fun. This is gonna be, she finally just sort of grabs my face and says, Jeff, this is fun. <laughs> I was missing it because I'm always on to the next thing. And uh, this passage of scripture says that because of God's incredible love for us, there's a big promise that's coming. It's coming now. And, um, and, we, and, and because that's when we exercise faith, 95% of the things we're, we're worrying about never happen. And yet they paralyze us. And, uh, and we're so busy with the past. We're so busy with the future. Sometimes we forget about the now of God. But the Bible says now, when we're overwhelmed, where do we go? To who? Now to him we go. And, um, and you think about that. For a lot of us, we're, when we're, we're used to the, the world's operating system. And, uh, and when we're overwhelmed, we try everything else first. We try this, we try that, we try something else. We, and as a last resort, I guess we better pray. And, um, but the Bible says that when we're weak and we understand the call of God is bigger than us, we go to him because we imagine him. And I, I'm trying to help our, our, our congregation get a picture of the immensity of who this God is because sometimes we think God needs us. And I was drawing this, this picture where I took a soccer ball and a half a grain of rice 
And that's kind of the comparison of the Earth and, a, and the closest star, our sun. And just looking at this thing, I had a person come and say, you know, grab a soccer ball, grab a soccer ball, hold it, where do you think it should be? And they were guessing, all right. And they said, they went back a few steps. They go, actually, it's 22 meters. So they paced off 22 meters, and I'm holding this. They say, so um, let's look at the, you know, there's billions of stars, but let's just do star number two. And I grab another soccer ball and got another volunteer and said, where does this one go? And they're going, okay, I'm wise to you. This is like a mile, right? And, um, well, where we were in Oakville, it was Lima, Peru. Lima, Peru for star number two. There's billions. And... Um, then you come back to that half a grain of rice. How big is North America on that half a grain of rice? How big would you, America be on that half a grain of rice? How big are you on that half a grain of rice? You're nothing. I'm nothing. God doesn't need us. He doesn't need our strength. Our strength is t- nothing. We go to him who said this thing is going to be, and it was. That's the God we go to. Why? The Bible says because he is able. The word in Greek is where we get our English word dynamite. He has the, the power. He is a, you say, I'm not able. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I don't have the whatever. But what has that got to do with God? God isn't asking for your stuff. He's asking for your cooperation with his stuff. He is the one who is able. And then it says, now to him who is able, not just to plan. We're good at that. We're really good at schemes. We're good at plan strategies. We're good at talking about stuff. Maybe talking about it some more. Talking about it some more. We're good at all that. But he is able to do Think about whatever the stuff is that God has been asking of you and you are scared, paralyzed, spitless. What in the world can I have to offer here? It's really not about it. He is able to do it. I love this part here. Far more in the Greek, it's the word "uper," where we get our word super. Uh, the Germans say uber, and you ride those, right? And uh, the... Uh, and Paul invents a term here that's not really a real term. He takes an ooper and he takes another ooper and he slams them together. And he says, he is able to do ooper ooper. He is able to do super duper more than anything you could ask or imagine. Now, we just kind of go back to that little half a grain of rice and just think about how big the imaginations are of the, of the people living on that half a grain of rice. They're like... They're nothing, are they? We have our greatest dreams, our greatest fears, our greatest whatever. We, we really think it's something, but it's really, really nothing. God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond anything, your wildest dreams you've ever had. It's not really a question of the strengths that you have to offer. You know, I, I get to, in my role and what I get to do, I get to travel a lot. And I get to see the places where God is doing incredible things. And I see that commonality again and again and again and again. 
I remember people would come up and fly and see what, what was going on, what we were doing in Toronto, and they would meet me. And, um, and a lot of times, this is the reaction I got. Huh. <laughs> you? <laughs> oh, well, God can do anything, I guess. And uh, so he is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything that we could ask or even daydream or even imagine. I, I remember... One time we had this, this, this meeting of churches that was meeting in Mississauga, which is part of Toronto. And, um, and I wanted to give an imagination to the people about what, what the people who were coming there, about what could happen. And so I had a couple sit on the front, on the stage. Their names were Barry and Lawanda Bonnie, and they were a couple that was praying for a church to start in the GTA, uh, Greater Toronto Area. And they... Um, they were, they were praying for that, and Laura and I, through, through their prayer ministry, really sensed God's calling to move to Toronto to start a church. And so Laura and I went and sat beside them, and then I brought the, the, the team, the staff of the, that grew, grew into that church that were there. And then I, I brought the leaders of the churches that we had planted out of that church, and they all came on the stage, church by church by church by church by church. And then we started something called Toronto Church Planting, which beca became an infrastructure for more church planting, and I had the leaders from those churches come. Pretty soon, this whole big stage of this church was filled with people. And, um, and I think today it's over 60 churches that are planted there out of that network. In, in the greater Toronto area. It was, it's exceedingly, abundantly more than anything I was asking or imagining. In fact, my bold faith really said um, 25 churches by 2020 is kind of the thing we were, we were trying to do. And God took my little imagination and, and made it you know, incredibly more. And so to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, far more than we could ask or imagine... Here's the deal, this next phrase, according to the power that is at work within us. That's the thing. If you're a one-day-old Christ follower, you don't get a junior action-sized version of the Holy Spirit living in you. The miracles you see happening in the New Testament, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He wasn't more God back then than he is now. He's not more God to the great people you see that have accomplished great things than he is to you. People are people and nothing more, and God is God and nothing less, and faith is faith and nothing else. And until we sort of wrestle with all that thing, we'll never get to experience the things that God has for us. So as a church, you guys are praying, what is it that God wants us to do? How can we be on his kingdom mission? I, I guarantee it is totally dependent upon the, 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 the faith and the belief of the people of God to believe that God will use your weakness. As long as you wait for some strong person to step up and do something, God will use somebody else. But if you listen and hear and trust and believe now, 
you will get to experience this promise that we're, we're unpacking here. So now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can think, imagine, according to the power that works within us. And then this next phrase says, it's the mo- maybe the most critical part of this thing. To him be the glory. Um, because as long as I want to get associated with the glory of what's happening, you know, we don't get to see God do his thing. If my heart is somehow just craving attention, craving people to kind of pat me on the back, and I, and I go and I live uh, sort of a Christian life, but really that's the thing I'm looking for, we don't get to see what God's doing. But the word glory in Greek is doxa. It means weight. It, it, it means like, a, like, like weight. It's not like, um, you know, it, it's, it's far more substantial than, than, than anything, I think, in our minds and our English that we could somehow have it. It's, it's an overwhelming weight of God's presence. When, when God does something and he gets glory, it's obvious you did not do it. People look at you as they look at all these lists of Bible characters we talked about, and they see weak people, and they see an incredible result, and nobody can make the connection. How did that happen? And your job is to say, well, obviously it wasn't me. He gets the glory. Um, it's an overwhelming... Like, like, I fly a lot. You never, you never want to get the, the middle seat, do you? I, I hate... You know, I don't like the middle seat... And I'm flying to San Diego, and I'm on a different airline than I'm used to. I had no status. And uh, <laughs> I got the middle seat, and I didn't realize that in San Diego is a marine base, and there's lots of big old boys on that plane. Because, you know, I'm kind of hoping for two little girls on a little, you know, something, get some elbow room, and nope, nope, two bruisers on either side of me. And, uh, and, and so I'm trying to flip my laptop open, you know, to do, but I got no elbows because they got both the elbow spots there, so I, I can't do anything. And so I thought, all right, I'll watch a movie. And so I, I uh, put a movie and put it in and plug in the earphones and I'm looking at things. And there's one that got the oldies. And have you ever seen the, the notebook? Yeah, if you're a guy, don't admit it. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's terrible. And... Um, <laughs> I'm sitting there, and it's like the saddest story, and I'm like starting to lose it, and um, <laughs> I don't know what to do, and uh, and so um, I only thing I can do is sort of casually unplug from there from the thing for a second and not let them see I did that, and pretend I'm watching and get composure. <sighs> All right, I'm good. Plug it back in. Oh, here it comes again. It's like, I did it like three times going through this. And uh, like almost ready to ball like a baby in between these two Marines. And um, that's kind of what this word means. It's like this weight and this presence of God's activity is so obvious. It's so overwhelming. It, 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 it actually, you know, you have to unplug from it somehow to get away from it. God's glory, when God does something... You don't have to kind of help people understand that it wasn't you. And the minute you take credit for it, you look kind of silly. To him be the glory. And then the sphere of God's glory is the church. See, so society 
you got friends and neighbors living around you, overwhelmed, going through job issues, marriage breakdowns, um, all kinds of disappointment in, in family life, all kinds of hurt and pain and brokenness all around you. And when they see a Christ follower who is going through the same hard stuff and Christ's life in their life is like buoying you above it. And you have this optimistic outlook towards the future because of God's presence with you. God is getting glory. You are giving a testimony to the power of God in your life. To him be the glory. The church of Jesus Christ should not look like the rest of the culture. The people of Jesus Christ should have absolutely this sense that we are nothing, but our God is everything, and we trust him in the midst of these things, and, and our kids get to see the, you know, the markings that we can point to backwards and say, there was a hard time, and God brought us through, and there was another hard time, and God brought us through, and here was an impossible thing, and God did that, and we look back and see all of that, and God gets glory in that, and your neighbors around you are seeing, like, this family is way different. Why, is it, why are you like the way you are? And God gets more glory. So we're overwhelmed. We go to him who is able to do far more abundantly than you could even ask or daydream. According to the power that is at work within you. To him be the glory in the church and the object of our glory and in Christ Jesus. And how long does it last? Forever, ever, 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 ever. See, this is maybe the most significant part is that last little phrase there. Like you throw, you know, you talk about you throw a rock into a pond, it makes a little splash, and then there's these emanations that come out from that. And that's what we're talking about here. That the obedience that God asks from us, you know, we're used to, you know, instant results. We're used to all kinds of things that, that uh, we're expecting and action or reaction happens. It doesn't always happen that way. When God asks us and calls us to faith, we, we respond to faith, and, uh, and we get to see what he does. I'll just close with a story. I kind of alluded to it a little bit uh, yesterday. But um, I don't know a better one that describes this. And it's at my own parents. My, my mom and dad lived in uh, Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. Dad's Norwegian immigrant, northern Saskatchewan, moved and started. And worked at, he got a great eight education. He worked at Molson's Brewery, which is... <laughs> and um, his, his fringe benefit for that union job was a free case of beer a, a day he could take home. Just take it. And, uh, and so you know where our family was heading. You know, it's just, it wasn't good. And, um, and for some reason, my parents decide to go to a movie. In those days, you know, there wasn't the multiplexes. You went to a movie, and it was 1967. You go to a movie, and it was a whatever they're playing. 
So they went to park their little Volkswagen Beetle in a parking lot and went to the movie, and it was one called The Restless Ones. They didn't know anything about it. And they went to go pay, and there was, it was free. Oh, okay. So they went in, and they went to this movie, and um, it was a Billy Graham's first movie. And uh, he did this, there's a scene in this movie where there was a, a, a husband and a wife in a convertible car with the top down and the radio on and Billy Graham was preaching uh, an altar call uh, to respond to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And um, my dad reached over and grabbed my mom's hand and squeezed my mom's hand during that, that thing. And, um, and God was doing something in their spirit. And, you know, God was doing something. And then the movie kind of came to some kind of an end, and, um, and something different happened in the movie theater. The lights came on, and a guy with a suit came up to the front and kind of repeated the altar call that Billy Graham gave, only maybe not as well. And um, my parents looked at each other, and they thought that was kind of odd, and you could tell people were looking, this is kind of strange. And... and um, they went out and went back into the parking lot and went into their Volkswagen Beetle and started talking about what they had just experienced. And while they were there, they both prayed and asked for forgiveness of their sins. Sorry. And um, gave their lives to Christ in their Volkswagen. And found a little... Baptist church that was being started and went to that little Baptist church and um, had a weird, it was kind of a weird church. They just had this thing that when you respond to Christ, you obey him and you bring the gospel places. And, um, and so that was the discipleship that we had. And so there was, whenever we said, we see, saw an opportunity to start a Bible study or start a new church, we just went over there and, and he, and we did. And ordinary no, nobodies did. And all of a sudden, churches were being started all over the place in, around throughout Saskatchewan. And um, you fast forward that story a long ways. My dad had long quit Molsonsbury, started a welding business. It became very successful. And he was invited um, to do a, kind of a crossover Billy Graham, Franklin Graham crusade in, in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan to be on the steering committee of that. And, um, and so he was in this big hotel conference room and, uh, and a guy gets up to a, state, a, a podium like this and he said, before we kind of go on, why don't we just share about how the, the ministry of Dr. Graham has Im impacted your life? And my dad has been a tradesman all his life and uh, he never liked to speak in front of people. And his heart was just kind of, and he just knew God was saying, get up and tell your story. And so he did now. He was the first. He got up and shared that story, going to the movie theater, coming to Christ in the parking lot, and um, going to this little church and being a part of that. And those two little kids that were being babysat while they were at the movie theater, now one, she and her husband are in South America, and they're planting churches in South America. And the little boy had planted several churches, and this last church, is, a lot of churches have been planned out of it. And he goes, I don't know how many hundreds of people are in the kingdom right now, because Helen and I went to the movie that day, and everybody clapped. Big cheer. My dad sat down, next guy gets up, and, uh, and he's just weeping. He's an old guy. And he doesn't come to the pulpit. He shuffles his way over to my dad. 
and uh, just embraces him and says, Alan, my name is Tom Dice. I'm a businessman. And I arranged for that movie to be put on. And I gave the altar call every evening for two weeks, and no one ever responded. And he was saying, praise the Lord. <laughs> it wasn't a waste. You see, every once in a while, God lets us sort of look under the, the curtain of eternity and see the results of our faith. But that's not often. I think most of the time not. We obey, and we don't know where those ripples go. But the Bible says they go through all, all generations forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. We live in a pragmatic age where A, one and one has to be two or we don't do it. The God who created and spoke this world into existence has other plans and other math. And, uh, and what he asks from us <laughs> is to go to him, overwhelmed and weak, go to him because he is able to do far more abundantly than anything you or I can ask or imagine because it's according to his power that works within us. And then he receives glory in the church and it points to Christ Jesus and it lasts throughout all generations forever and ever and ever. Father, we come right now before you fully aware of our weakness. but maybe more aware of who you are. You are the way maker. That is who you are. And Father, I pray for the people in this congregation, for the areas in their life that they are overwhelmed in, parts of their life that are painful, that they would see your strength in the midst of this journey. And Father, I pray for this congregation as it seeks your kingdom come, your will be done here in Wilmington as it is in heaven. Lord, that you would give clarity and conviction and faith and obedient hearts, not to look at the lack that there is, but to look at the abundant one who is. And that you would do what you want done through the weakness of faith. In Jesus' name we pray.